Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I am Carl Johnson, and I am here with... I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a guest today. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Kristen Rainey. It's nice to be back with both of you. And I'm the founder and CEO of North Star Sleep School. Yeah, so we talked to Kristen a couple months ago, and now she is back to talk about sleep. Uh, before we get into the conversation, why don't you tell the audience about your email list and what they'll get if they sign up and how they sign up for that. Yeah, I have an, an e-newsletter uh, on my website, northstarsleepschool.com. And if folks sign up, they can hear what my top 10 tips are for getting better sleep. Very cool. And I'm on that email list. So I do encourage people to sign up. And I think it's probably a good place to start why did you start this sleep school? Was there some precipitating event? Why are you doing what you're doing right now? And, and before you get into that, you have a pretty impressive background. You went to Princeton. I know you travel over the world and you worked for Google and ran a big part of their, if I remember correctly, their restaurant operation. So you're a very, uh, I always think it's amusing. You had a very high powered uh, career and you pivoted to sleep, which isn't bad. Just on the surface, it sounds uh it sounds a bit um, maybe paradoxical. I'm probably using the wrong word. I'm not used to big words in my life. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had what I thought was my my dream job. I was um, working on the food team at Google, and we ran cafes at our offices around the world for Google employees. And um, my role was leading procurement and sustainability. Uh, so thinking about things like food waste and um, procurement and sourcing, and trying to be thoughtful about how we were purchasing ingredients and. It was a super interesting role, but I was on the road all the time. And um, there was, of course, as it as it is with everyone there, there was always more on my plate than I had time to do. And uh, I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. And I um, I just completely burned out. I um, I never could totally recharge. You know, I typically would start a weekend at 30%. And then maybe if I was lucky by the end of the weekend, I'd be at 40% recharge. But um, I basically wasn't getting enough rest. And the more I learned about my own health issues and about how sleep was such a huge problem that I just hadn't ever been really prioritizing it, I realized, wow, this is a huge opportunity. You know, we talk so much about fitness and we talk so much about nutrition. Why are we not talking more about this topic of sleep and, and why we all could be doing, doing more and getting more? Um, so when I left Google in early 2020, I, um, I started a new company called North Star Sleep School, um, designed to help people um, understand why getting better rest is so critical for our well-being and what are all the things that we can do in our day-to-day -day lives uh, to get better sleep. And why did your sleep suffer when you had the job? Was it lots of travel or was it just anxiety around the job? What caused your lack of being able to recharge? Yeah, it was, it was many things. Um, one is I would say that I was often in the wrong time zone, uh, jet lagged because I was traveling so much for work and, um, you know, being in the wrong time zone means your, your circadian rhythm is completely out of sync with the environment that you're in. And, um, it's very taxing on your body and it's just very hard to recover from that. Um, in addition, I was, you know, working late at night and working early in the morning and, um, it's very hard, as I now understand more now about what's going on, it's very hard to just turn off your, your laptop and two minutes later to fall asleep. Um, not only is your brain agitated from all the content of the emails or whatever you were working on, but also the blue light from our screens 
delays the onset of melatonin. So, um, and then stress, I would say stress was high. Um, and there was just always more to do. I could, it was just very hard to, uh, to stay on top of everything. So I think there were a variety of reasons why I wasn't getting enough sleep. And, you know, I would often prioritize working out in the morning as opposed to getting an extra hour of sleep. And frankly, now that I know what I know, I don't think that was always the best decision. I might've been better off getting that extra hour of sleep. I suspect the culture at Google and other companies like that, it's like very competitive. People got there from working really hard. Everyone's really smart. And I suspect the culture is sort of like, yeah, get less sleep, work more hours. Like, is it even sustainable or possible to work in such an environment and prioritize sleep and your health and still get get your shit done during the day? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I still think about this often. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people who are working there are, are very type A achievement oriented people. And, um it is really hard to really set firm boundaries and to say no to things. And I think one of the, the the amazing things about Google, which is also one of the biggest challenges about working at Google, is just that there are so many interesting opportunities. And there are a lot of these sort of special projects or interesting partnerships or topics that might not be um, completely essential to, to your day to day, but things that are just really interesting to pursue. And it's very rare that someone will tell you to not pursue those things. But of course, those are all additional. It's very rare that something would kind of come off your plate. And, um, you know, I certainly struggled with, uh, you know, not having, not feeling like I could say no or wanted to say no to opportunities, but there just simply aren't enough hours in the day. Um, So balance is tough. And I know, I know I was not alone. And I I will also say that balance has frankly been tough for me my whole life. I, I am a yes person. It's, it's hard for me to uh, to say no, especially when opportunities are interesting. It's much easier and more fun to say yes, but then there's a consequence. It's kind of funny that we're talking to you about sleep issues and working at Google because I think way back when I followed Google as a company for a long time, and I remember one of the innovative things they had in their office were, were these kind of sleep pods that you can go in in the middle of the day and take a nap, and that was so unusual because things like that I feel kind of we're looked down upon, like you, you can't go to sleep in the middle of the day at your job, but then here's Google with these sleep pods at their uh, headquarters or whatever. You could do that. Did you actually see those there? Did you ever partake? Yeah. Um, I can't say I ever fell asleep in one, um, but I did, I did try many of them out. And one of the things I really enjoyed was having the opportunity to, 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 to have meetings in so many of the different offices globally and see just how they were, uh, how the, the culture was different or how, um, you know, there were different perks, like having those, amazing uh, nap pods. Um, But I think that there's also in some cultures, there's sort of a stigma around having your teammates, uh, you know, see you go to a nap pod and rest while they're, you know, working hard. And I think that's a challenge we need to get over. Um, I will say that I had the opportunity to interview um, the CEO of uh, the company Metronaps that 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 has those nap pods at Google. His name is Christopher Lindholst, and I interviewed him in episode 42 of my podcast, More Start Unplugged. And he talks a lot about uh, those nap pods and you know how to take the perfect nap and uh, a lot of other interesting tips. All right, so you kind of hit this burnout period. Anything else notable um, as you sort of transitioned out of Google there? Well, I also moved to Bozeman, Montana, which was uh, really exciting. And that's where I am now and um, really enjoying being here and uh, being in a new environment and 
it already has snowed. So I'm really excited. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Let's talk about sleep. Uh, I, I, I've read a little bit about sleep, but it's kind of interesting because I don't think anyone knows why exactly we sleep. I've read some theories. Maybe it's just to, in the caveman days, it was so we would be quiet and in a safe place. We weren't outside in the dark and danger. I think some people think we needed to commit our memories to long-term. And I'm not sure what other reasons there are. So what do you say, Kristen? What is sleep? Why do we sleep? Yeah, there's still a lot that we don't know. Um, but we do know it's really critical for our brains and bodies to recharge every night. And, you know, people who have gone 12 days without getting any sleep have actually died. So that is how critical we do need it, um, the same way we need water and the same way we need food. Um, and there's a lot of critical functions we do know that happen during the night. So just as one example, we have cerebrospinal fluid that actually clears out all the metabolic refuse from the day. So it's kind of like washing our brain and washing our glial cells specifically. Um, and when we don't get enough sleep, we get this buildup of amyloid plaques in our brain, and that can lead to Alzheimer's. So that's pretty serious. Um, sleep is also an opportunity to um, file away all of our experiences and find connections uh, between what happened today and all of our other experiences in our past. And it also allows you to process challenging parts of your day. And this part I find really interesting, this whole emotional aspect. So when you go to sleep, and specifically when you're in REM, your rapid eye movement or dreaming, you're, you're processing all the challenging parts of your day. So for example, a tough conversation with a partner, or maybe a rough meeting at work, you're actually processing all of those experiences in this calm environment when your brain isn't making the anxiety triggering molecule noradrenaline. When you're in REM, that's like the only time in a 24-hour period that you're not making that. So it allows you to process those events and um, in a calm and, and non-stressful environment and emerge the next day uh, feeling restored and with a fresh outlook. That's kind of terrifying. So what happens when we don't get enough sleep and we don't allow our brain to process these events? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 a it's a downward cyclical problem, um, and I think you know this whole idea that you know people used to say, well, why don't you know you, you have an, you've had an upsetting day, why don't you sleep on it and see how you feel tomorrow? And ironically, when we're when we're stressed about something and we're often you know staying awake thinking about it from something tough from the day, often we don't sleep very well that that following night, and that's actually the most critical thing we could do is get a good night's sleep when we've had an emotional day. So, um, yeah, we, we, it means we don't emerge the next day feeling restored and we continue to dwell on those uh, challenging feelings. Do you have any idea what percentage of people have issues with sleep? <laughs> well, I'd say it's worse than ever during COVID. I mean, I think people's anxiety is through the roof and I think people's boundaries uh, of, you know, work and profession, work and, and personal are blurred. And a lot of people are, you know, not just trying to do their jobs at home, but also trying to you know, help their fifth grader with math. And so I think people uh, are stressed. They're stressed about the future. They're stressed about politics. Um, I think it is worse than ever before. I don't know what the number is, but um, I would say just anecdotally of all the people I know in my life, there are very few who are really, really good sleepers. Are you a good sleeper right now? I am now. I am. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm very OCD about tracking my sleep. I use the aura ring. And so every morning, that's basically the first thing I do is I uh, see how, what my sleep stats were the following night. And um, yeah, my sleep is pretty good. Maybe it's a sign of my social life right now, but um, I am getting a lot of sleep and I'm pretty diligent about it. I'd like to hear about what the different issues are with sleep. And uh, I'm asking for, this is kind of a personal level because 
I see how my wife goes to sleep, Mindy, her head will hit the pillow and she's out like 30 seconds later. She's asleep. But her issue is sometimes, like last night, she said she woke up at midnight and couldn't really go back to sleep after that. So she falls asleep very easily, but then often can't stay asleep. Me, I'm the opposite. A lot of times I'll lay there for like two hours. I can't fall asleep. But once I do, I'm usually out. I don't wake up. And I've, I've since learned this because I'm thinking about stuff and I need to turn down my brain. But is there a classification for different issues people have with sleep? Are there different classifications? Or um, I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask here. How many different kind of issues do people have with sleep? Many, many. There's there's so many different challenges of why people are not sleeping, and you know what you've described of uh, you know not being able to fall asleep. Um, you know that, that's a type of insomnia, onset insomnia. Um, also, not being able to stay asleep during the night is another type of insomnia. Uh, waking up too early in the morning is another type of insomnia. Um, insomnia is is a huge problem. Um, there's also a lot of other sleep challenges um, like sleep apnea. Um, which basically um, is a problem uh, when basically in the middle of the night, people are snoring and basically they're not actually able to get enough air and they you know, automatically wake up without really knowing they're waking up. And they wake up many, many, many times during the night. Um, so they're not getting restorative sleep. Um, there's a lot of different common issues that people are dealing with. Doug, do you have any issues with sleeper? I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was just thinking, I'm pretty good. I fall asleep well, usually stay asleep most of the time if I don't drink too much. But I will wake up early, too early. Uh, sometimes like between, I would say like 3 to 4.30 is on the too early side. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'll have trouble falling back asleep. Uh, especially, like you said, I'll start thinking about the day. My mind starts waking up and it's pretty tough to fall back asleep. But I mean, most of the time I fall asleep really quickly and then I'll, I'll sleep really well at least for three or four hours and sometimes about six. And then I may wake up at like three in the morning, something like that. So I'm pretty good. Um, I, I sleep probably seven and a half hours a night, like 90% of the time. Okay. Interesting. This, this brings up another question. I was reading an article. This was in the newspaper or in the news uh, about a month ago. It talked about these this family in Salt Lake City, and they have like three or four kids. And apparently a couple of the kids have this thing where they only need like, they only sleep for like an hour or two a day. And they feel completely fine. And I guess it's okay uh, because they don't have any health issues. And for them, it's actually been a big enhancement to their life. So these, I think there are two boys who would wake up and practice volleyball and or basketball and study and do all these things. So their lives were actually better with this unusual condition. So I'm curious to know if you've heard about that. And the corollary to this is Doug said he, he does not get eight hours of sleep. Is there a perfect amount of sleep that we should all aim for, or is it different for everyone? So adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night, and only 1% of the population ranges from that. Um, and that's a genetic mutation, and that goes in both directions. So there's actually a very tiny percentage of people who need more than nine, and then there's a tiny percentage of people who have the short sleep gene who are truly able to function well, you know, not just sort of survive throughout the day, but truly function well on less than seven. And, you know, I'm very envious of those folks because they have a lot more time in their lives. And yeah, they can do other things. They can, you know, play the violin at three in the morning or they can go play volleyball or they can do whatever. Um, 
I know that a lot of us would appreciate having more time back, but no, for, for, for most, the, the vast majority of adults, it's seven to nine hours a night. Okay. And I'm curious, you said something that was interesting. Um, you talked about how to take the perfect nap and, and Doug and I were talking about this, I think at FinCon, this conference we were at, because like every time I would talk to Doug, he'd be like, uh, yeah, I took a nap this afternoon. And I think, so I stopped working in April, 2017, and I think I've successfully taken one nap from between now and then. I've, <laughs> I've tried a couple other times un unsuccessfully, so I'm a very, very poor napper. So I'd be curious to hear both of you, maybe Kristen, you first about what the perfect nap is and how to do that. Yeah, naps can be really effective as a way to um, recharge during the day. I think the big things to keep in mind are keeping it short and keeping it early in the day. So I would say starting with 10 to 20 minutes, actually setting an alarm to be sure you don't sleep too long. Um, if you sleep too long, you'll end up, um, you know, getting into a deep sleep and it, 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 A, you'll wake up groggy and B, you your sleep the following night might be impacted. Um, also not sleeping too late in the afternoon, I'd say, you know, not starting a nap, uh, after 2 PM, for example, is what, is what I'd recommend. Um, I also had an opportunity to interview a nap expert named Thea O'Connor in episode 16 of North Star Unplugged. And she calls the power nap, the new coffee break. And she has all kinds of detailed tips about that too. A nap expert. That's pretty cool. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, so you're pretty good at taking naps. See, the alarm thing, though, you said don't allow yourself to go 15 or 20 minutes. But what I would do if I tried that, I would set the alarm and then I'd be like, oh, my God. Now, I, that would give me anxiety because I would feel <laughs> pressure to fall asleep quickly because I know that alarm's coming in 15 minutes. I, I don't do well with yeah. alarms. So what, what are your secrets, Doug? So I think probably several of the things like I picked up from you, Kristen, in conversations that we had. Um, but yeah, generally I try not to take a nap later than three. So roughly the same time frame, And then I'll often set an alarm for like 45 minutes to an hour, knowing that it'll take me a few minutes to fall asleep. Or the thing is, sometimes you don't fall asleep. Worst case scenario, you just laid in a quiet room with no noise and you got to relax for a little while. So that's the worst case scenario and no one's bothering you and it's dark in there. So that's pretty good, like regardless if you fall asleep or not. And then if you fall asleep for like 10 or 15 minutes, that's like icing on the cake. But FinCon, I napped every single day. I still got sick, probably COVID, I'm not quite sure, but I slept for an hour to two hours because we kept odd hours and we drank a lot. So I was, I was like, all right, it doesn't matter if I screw up sleep tonight. I'm not going to bed early anyway. So I may as well try to get some, uh, get some rest while it's hot outside. So that's the other thing. In the summer, it's great to go inside, dark place, get away from everyone. So in, in you have you tried napping much? I have not tried it much. And my lack of being able to successfully nap might be just how busy my life is. I can't. I often think I can't allow myself to do it because I have so much shit going on, but that is about to change. So maybe that should be one of my goals for 2022 to sleep more. Yeah. Sounds like I'm aiming low, but maybe I'm aiming high. I don't know. It's, well, it's, I think it's a luxury and I'm curious your, your sort of perception on this, Kristen. It's, um, we're driven to be like productive, right? And I know I've heard you say, like, you feel bad to not be productive, like 
vacations are sometimes a struggle and you want to like pack in as much as you can do. So like taking a nap and sleeping more is like the opposite. It seems like the opposite, even though I now realize I'm much far dumber when I don't get enough sleep. And I realize my, I could have done much better in college if I just would have slept more instead of trying to like study harder. If I just would have been rested, I would be much better off. So it's sort of paradoxical. I think that's the right usage of the word. And then, yeah, so it feels anti-productive, but you may actually get more done by working like fewer hours and resting more. So yes, I, I can get behind your napping maybe a couple times a week, just lay down in a quiet room for a little while. Maybe we set up napping stations back behind the curtain there. Get, get some of those Google pods in your, in your basement down here. And then we could broadcast that on YouTube. So if people did have sleep problems, they could just uh, watch that. And that for sure would put them to sleep. That's right. Yeah. So Kristen, any thoughts on like the anti-productivity sort of mindset? People think you're lazy if you're like, hey, I'm going to go take a nap. Well, there's two things. Yeah, there's a perception of other people who think you're being lazy. And we just all need to get over that as a culture. I mean, there's a lot of cultures that take a siesta after lunch every day. And that's just part of the routine. And and they do very well. But I would also say that, you know, from an efficiency perspective, yeah, it seems like, wow, like, giving myself a bigger window at night to sleep, that seems so inefficient. I have so many other things that I could be doing. Um, However, everything takes so much longer when we're tired. I mean, think about even just silly things like doing an expense report or something else mindless. It takes twice as long. So actually, if we're really well rested and we're getting consistently good sleep throughout the week, we're actually going to be able to accomplish everything the next day in so much less time. So it's actually one of the most efficient things we can do is get good sleep consistently. Hmm, That's interesting. I've I've noticed it more. I'm trying to learn Spanish. And when I'm in a, it, if I've slept well for the past couple of days, I notice the words stick to my brain easier. And I'm even doing this app so I can tell how well I'm doing it. And, and I've noticed too, when I'm really, really tired, someone will say something to me and like 10 minutes later, it hasn't stuck. So yeah, uh, it, it's interesting when you start paying attention, how corrosive lack of sleep can be. Yeah, and how critical it is for, for, for learning new things, whether it's Spanish or learning a new instrument or learning how to code or, you know, learning anything at all. Having good sleep that night, that night after learning is critical. And then also arriving at that Spanish lesson, being well rested is, is critical as well. So it's, it's sleep at both ends is so important. Yeah, and I think maybe even sleeping that night so the words get committed to your memory. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? I know we we talked about your academic career just a little bit, especially in the previous episode, which people can can check out. But did you notice, like we're talking about, like being able to remember and learning more effectively now that you're getting better sleep and higher quality sleep? I mean, I would say that when I was in college, I was not aware of any of this. And not only was I, you know, a student, but I was also an athlete. And it's, it's, it's scary to me now how little I prioritized sleep then. Um, I mean, I'd say by the time I got to grad school, you know, I went late, I was basically like one of the older students in grad school. And so I was, you know, probably sleeping more than perhaps some of my classmates, um, who might have had more active social lives, um, or, or who were, you know, taking all nighters to, to study. But I, I guess the, the joke sort of on us for all of us who thought we were really helping things by, you know, staying up till five in the morning, studying for an exam or writing a paper or whatever, we really would have just been better off going to bed. But no, as a student, I was not um, 
prioritizing this, I was not aware of how critical all of this is. I, I wish I could go back in time and, um, you know, be, be more rested throughout my time in school. Are we ready to move on to some best practices? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So let's say someone has identified that they want to improve their sleep. Kristen, where should they sort of start? And can you walk us through some best practices? Yeah, one of the most important things we can do is have a consistent sleep schedule. So that means uh, going to bed and getting up at the same time seven days a week, whether it's a Tuesday night or a Friday night. And this is really hard for most people because most people like to stay up later on Friday and Saturday night if they have traditional um you know, weekday jobs. And then they sleep in later on the weekend days on Saturday and Sunday. And then Sunday night is really painful because they can't fall asleep. Maybe they slept till 10 or 11 a.m. on Sunday, and then it's now Sunday night. They can't fall asleep. They're dreading Monday morning. Then the Monday morning alarm goes off and they feel like they've been run over by a truck. And that's uh, what we call social jet lag. And so when we have a consistent schedule, all seven days of the week, our body starts learning when is that sleep window. And then you start waking up naturally before your alarm goes off. You wake up in a light sleep schedule, sleep cycle. So you're actually not feeling groggy the way you would when your alarm goes off in a deep, deep cycle. One thing I find hard uh, staying on this topic of having a consistent sleep schedule is uh, I went to bed at like at 830 last night, but that's because it's dark at 830. In the summer, it's difficult. Like it's 10 o'clock and there's, you can still see a little bit of sunlight. So how do you adjust for that one? Mother Nature is interfering with your sleep schedule. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I here in Bozeman, you know, there are times in the middle of the summer where, you know, it's like 930 at night and I'm still out like in the garden, like picking weeds. And I'm like, God, I just have totally lost track of time. Um, I think it is important to really be mindful of, um, you know, using blackout curtains is, is one option. Um, in, in the winter, it's easy because we can start, you know, turning, dimming our lights inside uh, as the evening goes on. Some people even switch to candles, but really like trying to minimize our exposure to bright light late, late in the evening is really important. Um, you can also wear an eye mask. Uh, it's great for traveling, but you can also just wear that at home, which blocks out all the light as well. So you said something interesting there. You said minimizing exposure to bright light late at night. So are you talking about maybe even earlier, like a couple hours before going to bed, turning down the lights and maybe making it a little bit darker in the house? Because I'm asking you this because I've noticed when I go camping, as soon as the lights go off, you don't really have, you might have a flashlight, but overall you're living in a darker environment and that just makes you feel sleepy. And I don't really experience this at home, I guess, because we've got the lights on. So what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, absolutely. Camping is such a perfect example because we're actually, you know, in sync with our natural environment of light and dark. And when it's dark out, you finished eating dinner and it's dark out. It might be eight o'clock and you're ready for bed. You're tired. But in our world where we're bombarded with all these artificial lights all the time, it's confusing to our body and it delays the onset of melatonin, our sleep hormone. So anything we can do for several hours before bed, having a, a really a regular, consistent wind down routine is really important. And, and dimming overhead lights is really important. Getting off of all of our electronic gadgets, which emit blue light, is really important. Um, you know, trying to switch over and do relaxing things in that hour to an hour and a half before you actually turn off the light for bed. So that might include reading a real book or a real magazine instead of a tablet or a laptop. It might include, you know, listening to a podcast or listening to relaxing music. 
Um, it might include taking a warm bath or a warm shower. There's a lot of things you can do, but but anything that's going to you know get your your brain amped up or um, expose you to bright artificial light is something to avoid uh, in that last hour before bed. Okay, I think we've kind of moved on to the uh, another tip. But you said blue light. Can you define blue light? Yeah, so blue light um, emanates from all of our gadgets. So whether we're on our laptop or our tablet or our phone, um, the blue light is is helping the screen look really sharp, and that's really great for you know the morning and, and midday hours. The problem is, is that most of us are on our gadgets late in the evening. Some people actually are taking our phones to bed with them and scrolling Facebook and Instagram or even sending work emails as the, like the very last thing they do before bed. And the longer we do that, the more we delay the onset of melatonin. And we really need melatonin. We produce it naturally. And we really need that to help us feel sleepy. So in contrast, you were talking about when we're camping, you know, hopefully we're not looking at our cell phones when we're camping. When we're camping, we're just naturally tired because our, our melatonin is doing its job. Okay. One thing I've noticed that helps me fall asleep easier is watching a, a stupid TV show before I go to bed. And I say stupid, I don't really mean stupid. I mean, something not intense, like a, a dumb comedy or something like that. Do TVs emit blue light or is that just for the sharp screens of a device? Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not looking at your TV and you're like two feet away from it, I think that's fine. As long as it's, you know, across the room, like 10 feet away, that's fine. Um, I mean, more and more people I know are all watching shows all on their tablets or laptops, which are really close to their face. And that's where it's really a problem. I'd also say that, you know, you, you're referring to like a sort of a silly show that's not um, amping you up. But a lot of us are watching news or um, watching other things on TV that actually might get us agitated. And so it is really important to think about what are you watching and is it something that's truly going to relax you um, or is it something that's going to amp you up? You can also get these blue blocker glasses that you can wear. And I wear those in the evenings and those can protect your eyes from the blue light. So if they're, if you want to watch TV or there happens to be, um, you know, you have to do some late night work on your computer sometimes, that's another great option. Okay. Yeah. We've covered a whole lot there. We've talked about having a consistent schedule. We've talked about how to use our lighting in our home. We've talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, blue light. Uh, what else? I want to go back to the routine. So that's actually one of the things that helped me out the most that we talked about, Kristen, just trying my best to get in a routine as many days of the week. So my question is for people that don't have the same flexibility that I have where I can go to bed almost the same time most days. So maybe they have kids maybe they just don't have a way to do it as easily as me. So do you have any suggestions for balancing that out, knowing that people have constraints? Yeah, with kids, I'd say um, ensure your kids have a really early bedtime so that you as a parent have some time to yourself uh, before bed. So you know, I think kids having a, a, a strict wind down routine is is critical too. you know, they, they basically, you know, put their pajamas on, brush their teeth, have a bedtime story. I mean, sometimes kids wind down routine is more um, fixed and regular than adults. And so, you know, I think we can learn a lot from, from that. But I would also just say that um, it should be even easier. Some, some people as parents go to bed when their kids go to bed, you know, they know that, um, you know, that that's a good opportunity as well. But um, yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, the, the flexibility issue I know goes beyond just having children and there, and there's some folks who maybe they're working at night or doing other things. And so 
I know that perhaps not everyone has as much control over their schedule as you and I, and that might've been what you're referring to. Yep. Okay. So people can do their best and hopefully get enough sleep. Okay. And one other thing around best practice is jet lag and dealing with travel. So you are no stranger to that. What, what are the best things we could do to deal with that? Yeah, there's a whole slew of things we can do for, for jet lag. I mean, I think the key is that if you're crossing time zones, um, you know, getting into that local time zone as quickly as possible. So for example, you know, getting on the flight and immediately changing your watch and your phone to that new time zone and then doing what they're doing. So if they're already asleep in that local time zone, try to sleep on the plane, um, you know, instead of having a massive meal, which, which is what often uh, some of us do. I think once you get in your local time zone and you arrive, trying to use cues like exercise and light and food um, to help train your body to get into that new time zone. So, for example, let's say you land, it's nine in the morning, maybe you haven't slept much on the flight, get outside, go for a walk, go for a run, um, make sure that your body is exposed to that light on your eyeballs because it's really easy to just go to your hotel room and take a nap and that can be really brutal. I'd really encourage people to try to stay up if they can until like nine o'clock on that first day. And if they can do that by just staying out of the hotel and walking around and getting a lot of light, um, that can make their jet lag a lot you know, less painful and, and you can adapt much more quickly. Um, so those are just a few of the things I would, I would recommend. And quick side note, that's typically what I try to do. I don't travel a ton across big time zones, but we went to Amsterdam several years ago red eye flight. Um, and we wanted to stay up because of the other activities we had going on that day and that week. And we, um, we found the only bar open at like 9am on a Sunday morning and went and had some nice, uh, Belgian beers. It was, it was, it's not perfect. Like we, we dealt with a jet lag, but we did enjoy some great, great Trappist beers out there. So did the beers put you to sleep after that, though, if the goal is trying to stay up for the whole day? Or? If you have one, a beer can make you sleep. If you have like three or four, like it kind of wakes me up. So <laughs> I want to know what kind of beer Doug is drinking. <laughs> okay. So speaking of substances that can interfere with your sleep, we have a list of several things and we can just kind of like knock them out. So we have caffeine, Ambien, alcohol, krill oil, CBD, THC, NyQuil, and some things will help or mess up your sleep. So Kristen, we'll just kind of let you loose on a few of these and talk about them. Yeah, um, I mean, caffeine Caffeine is a big one. It's something so many of us rely on and, and enjoy. Um, and the thing about caffeine is, is you know, it, it has a half-life of five to seven hours. So half of it's still in our body five to seven hours after we've consumed it. And that means the quarter life is 10 to 12 hours. And so... Um, it interferes with our sleep, especially uh, during that first half of the night, which is predominantly deep sleep. And I'd say that even if you're one of those people who thinks, you know, that you're immune, that, you know, you can have an espresso after dinner and you're totally fine, you fall asleep just fine, um, but your sleep actually isn't as restorative as it is if you don't have caffeine in your system. Um, so yeah, caffeine's a big challenge and, you know, we develop a greater tolerance for it uh, as we continue to drink more of it. And so, uh, it's a, it's a real challenge. 
there's a lot of other things on there I, I could talk about. Um, alcohol is also a challenge. Uh, a lot of people think alcohol helps our sleep because it certainly makes it easier for us to fall asleep, but it's because it's acting as a, as, as a sedative. Um, and, you know, alcohol mostly interferes with your REM, uh, which is your dream sleep, which is concentrated later in a night of sleep. Um, so the best thing we can do is actually avoid alcohol altogether or having it earlier in the day. So, for example, having a happy hour drink is a lot better than having a nightcap after dinner because that happy hour, it's giving your, your body time to um, to process it as opposed to a nightcap, which is just probably the worst thing you can do. Um, as far as other substances, um, you know, research on CBD and THC is mixed. Um, you know, both have been helpful for some people. Um, CBD has anti-inflammatory properties and can reduce your anxiety. And so reducing an anxiety, an anxiety in and of itself is helpful for better sleep. Um, I'd say with, with THC, there's some evidence that you can fall asleep faster, but it's not clear whether your sleep itself is as restorative. So some people are waking up more groggy uh, than they would otherwise um, THC uh, reduces uh, pain and that could lead to better sleep as well and have, you know, you could have fewer wake ups during the night. So there's a lot of potential uh, pros and there's a lot more research that's being done both on CBD and THC as it relates to sleep. Um, as far as Ambien, you know, you do fall asleep um, more quickly and you, you might get more sleep than you would otherwise, for example, on a flight, but your sleep is not as restorative. So I would steer clear as much as possible on uh, Ambien and other um you know, other prescription sleep drugs. Gotcha. And I've been doing a little research myself on CBD and THC and how it impacts my sleep. And well, one thing, there's tons of different varieties and I'm no expert in either of the areas, but I know for CBD, I have started checking that out. And typically, like the suggested dosage is like way less than what I could even notice. So I think uh, like I've found it effective and like sort of restful between like maybe 25 and 35 milligrams or so at, at night before I go to sleep. And I usually sleep well, no impacts the next day. With THC, I have found, depending on the strain or what edible that I consumed, maybe I'll, I'll just go to sleep. I won't move at all, and I'll be a little groggy the next day. Um, and then others, like, it's unnoticeable at all. So, um, you know, people do your own research in states where it's legal or what, whatever you got to do. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but I've, I've played around a little bit. Okay. And the other thing that I'll comment on is I used to think that caffeine didn't impact me and I would have a ton of caffeine. I would drink lots of coffee, but I've, I've started to drink less and I've switched over to like half calf, half decaf. And I try not to have a uh, coffee like after noon or so, be just because of what you were saying. Like I was drinking like a liter of like a whole carafe of coffee and then it would totally screw up my sleep, even though I wasn't like wired eventually because I had built up such a, a tolerance to drinking coffee. But then after I went off and, and sort of reduce the amount of coffee, I sleep much, much better. So. Cool. I've, I have one follow-up question based on something you mentioned. What are, what is the difference between deep sleep? You said deep sleep is earlier in the sleep cycle and REM sleep, which apparently is later. What do both those do and what is the difference? Why are they important? <laughs> 
so every night you're going through multiple sleep cycles. Um, they're not between 90 and 110 minutes per night. And each cycle includes light sleep, deep sleep, and REM, which is uh, rapid eye movement. Um, and the, the concentration, as I mentioned, is that you, you tend to have a greater um, concentration of deep earlier in the night, and you tend to have a greater concentration of REM in the morning. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind if you, you know, are one of those people who likes to set your alarm for 4.30 to go work out as you might be, you know, missing out more on your REM sleep. And the REM and, and the non-REM are each performing very different functions in your body. So the, the REM sleep is helping you integrate all of your day's experiences, kind of like a filing cabinet and um, thinking about how to connect what happened today with all the other experiences in your life. Um, and so that kind of helps clear out your, your short-term memory cache and helps you prepare your brain to, to learn new things the next day. Um, and then REM also has that emotional soothing component that I mentioned earlier, which is basically helping you to process all of the day's challenging experiences in this uh, calm uh, environment um, so that you can kind of emerge the next day uh, feeling refreshed. Um, the deep sleep is the more restorative sleep. Um, that's happening. And that, again, that deep sleep is happening more concentrated earlier in the night of sleep. So that's partly why it's important to be, you know, not going to bed at 2am because you're going to be missing out on the predominant deep sleep, which is happening earlier in the night. Which cycle do we have dreams in? And have you researched dreams at all? Why our brain <laughs> presents us with sometimes yeah, the insane dream images? Dreams are happening during the, 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 the rapid eye movement. And rapid eye movement is when our, our brain activity is actually most similar in terms of our awake, uh, our awake state. Um, so when you look at all the, all the brain activity during all the different stages of sleep during REM, it's most similar to our awake state. Um, and we do dream every night, even when we don't remember our dreams the next day. Um, I think there's a lot of unknowns about dreams. I think certainly... Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, when we have recurring uh, anxiety dreams, that it's, you know, continuing to be obsessed about things that we're, we have in our mind that we're trying to process, um, for sure. I think dreams are pretty interesting. A lot of people like to keep, you know, a, a pencil beside their bed um, to help record and help them remember dreams if they wake up in the middle of the night. That's one, one thing you can do. Do either of you have any recurring dreams that you would be willing to share? Oh man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember there was, there's a, there's one that I would have and it was like, I would have a toothache or like some sort of dental problem. And I like, it was so vivid. Like I really, I would wake up thinking, oh fuck, I got to get a tooth pulled or something like that. It's been a really long time, but that was sort of a re recurring dream for, for years. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why, like I would wake up thinking, Oh, I have a terrible toothache. And of course you wake up and luckily everything has been fine so far. So what about you, Kristen? That's a good question. Um, I think I've had a lot of dreams over the years where I can't, you know, maybe I'm running, something's chasing me, who knows if it's an animal or a person or something. And I just can't, you know, I can't scream. I can't say, I can't say anything. And that's super frustrating. Uh, and then I think I've, I've, you know, throughout my entire life had the dream where I've just forgotten to put my clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Carl? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the dental thing because one of mine, probably my most frequently recurring one is that all my teeth fall out and it's uh, 
terrifying in the dream. Like, I, I, I don't know why. Like, I take good care of my teeth. I haven't had a cavity in like 20 years, so I'm not sure why that keeps coming up, but I, I do want to keep my teeth. So maybe there's something going on in my subconscious there. Okay. Uh, supplements. There are, uh, well, there's tons of supplements out there. So do you have any that are generally recommended or something people should take a look at? So I guess as far as supplements, um, you know, my, I guess my first priority would be to back up and just say, you know, are, are you are you eating a, a really healthy, balanced diet? And are you getting as many of the vitamins and minerals that your body needs uh, through food? That would be my first um, suggestion, you know, tons of vegetables, uh, protein, etc. Um, you know, and then also think, of course, also thinking about timing and not eating too uh, close to bedtime. So eating um, more than three hours before bed is something I'd also recommend. Um, as far as additional supplements, I mean, one I would recommend is is magnesium. Most of us are deficient in magnesium. And while you can uh, get that from some foods, you can also take a supplement. I take the Calm supplement. It's a powder that you can get at various uh, health foods stores. Um, and it's just literally purely magnesium. And I put that in some warm water as part of my wind down routine at night. Um, I'd also say that uh, small doses of melatonin can be useful if you're crossing time zones. It's not something I'd recommend taking every night. I think it's really better to actually prioritize helping our body make its own melatonin naturally, which we can do, for example, by avoiding blue light in the evenings. Um, but if you are crossing time zones, uh, that's something that you can take a couple days before the trip or uh, once you're in your local time zone just to help you adjust more quickly to that new time zone. Okay. And then you mentioned food there. So I, that's another thing I started eating earlier in the day. It's like an old person. We, we eat at like 530. <laughs> it's really awkward, but like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, like everyone else is a senior citizen, it's like, oh, what are we doing here? But I sleep much better. So that's yeah. Great. Can we, can we talk about, um, like, specific foods and then potentially like timing. So you said at least three hours before you go to bed, which is sort of like a gremlins rule, you know, don't feed them after midnight, the documentary from the eighties. Um, yeah. So food. Yeah, I, th I think there, you know, there, it's true that there are some foods that are helpful with sleep. Um, as a few examples, you know, fatty fish um, like salmon and mackerel and trout and tuna are packed with vitamin D and vitamin D6 and omega-3 fatty acids. Um, nuts like walnuts and, and almonds and Brazil nuts are also a great choice. Um, they have tryptophan and that can be used by your body to make melatonin. Um, tart cherries are also great, whether they're eaten whole or as a tart cherry juice. Those are also high in melatonin. And, you know, herbal tea is also something great to consume, especially after dinner, like chamomile or lemon balm. It's a great way to wind down. Um, I'd also say avoiding specific things like avoiding uh, chocolate, which has caffeine, avoiding uh, spicy foods at night, avoiding sugar uh, and avoiding heavy meals. Those are also really important. Um, but, you know, again, my advice wouldn't be to sort of run off and go buy some tart cherries so that you sleep better tonight. My advice would be to really ensure you're eating a well-balanced diet. You know, a lot of us are, you know, not eating enough fats. Um, and so really ensuring you have a balanced diet of uh, fats and proteins and carbs. And then back to timing. Timing is really one of the most critical things you can do. Um, you know, when we when we eat a big meal and then we try to go to bed right after, um, our body's focused on digestion and it's really hard for it to shift over and focus on sleep. And often if we do have that massive meal, 
late at night, and especially if you also have alcohol, your resting heart rate doesn't reach its lowest point until uh, very late in the night of sleep. And you really want it to be reaching its lowest point early so that you have better recovery. So alcohol is a depressant, but it also causes our heart rate to increase. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically, when we're trying to met metabolize alcohol as well as, as food, our body's focused on that. Um, and you'll often see, for example, if you're if you're doing, uh, you know, collecting your sleep data through the aura ring or, or other uh, devices, you'll see that your resting heart rate doesn't reach its lowest point until late. Um, and so that that can be a problem. So our, this, this next bullet point here kind of strikes a chord with me, and that's shutting down the brain in the age of constant stimulation. Yeah. Pull up to a stoplight or you're in line at the grocery store. We can't be bored for two seconds. We whip out our phones. And I realized that that was a big part of some of my struggles. You can't really go to sleep if you're thinking about something. So trying to trick my brain into not thinking about something was important to fall asleep. And when I'm able to do that, sleep comes really, really fast. It's kind of amazing once you figure it out. So what, what do you think about that, Kristen? Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, I was saying earlier that, you know, one of the worst things we could do would be to kind of turn off our work computer and then, you know, two minutes later, try to turn off the light and have no buffer between, uh, you know, work or agitating activities and going to sleep. And I think um, trying to shut down your brain is important. There's a, there's a lot of great um, tools you can use. I mean, including having a regular, you know, wind down routine every night where you have very specific activities that calm you down. And some people even have a timer that goes off and let's say their wind down routine starts at 9 p.m. because they're trying to go to sleep at 10. They actually have a timer that reminds them at nine, hey, you have to get off your devices. Or sometimes people have their screens turned to grayscale at 9 p.m. Um, that's a great, you know, reminder. And also it's just not as interesting to look at all of our devices without their, um, you know, colorful uh, screens that are so addictive. Um, other things I'd say is, you know, meditating can be really helpful uh, in the evenings or journaling is a great way to get what's in your brain off of your brain and, and, and down on paper. That can be a great way to um, to calm down for the evening. Um, you know, I, I think we're all just completely addicted to our gadgets and just taking a break from them can be really helpful. Um, I know I, a couple years ago, I did a, a five-day silent meditation retreat um, outside Portland at a place called Cloud Mountain. And that was one of the best things about that experience was actually getting away from my phone for five days. Um, it was really fantastic. Did you not talk for the whole five days or? Correct. Actually, I will say that there, there were a couple of exceptions when the leader would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, like once or twice to be sure you were okay. You talked during that time, but you never talked with any of the other participants. And it actually wasn't that hard. I'm an introvert and I'm like, I spend big chunks of time by myself. I live alone. So that's fine. For me, the bigger adjustment, frankly, was just not being around devices, not being on the internet. It was, frankly, it was a really helpful thing. I should do it more often. Could you make eye contact and, or communicate with the other participants in any way? Or? Um, yes, people did smile at each other and, you know, hold the door to the dining hall and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, there was, um, yeah, there was some, you know, some of that. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, there, there, there was no, like, sign language or anything. God, that'd be kind of uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll have to... Uh fart when you're around people and sometimes you wait for someone to talk so you can kind of disguise it but there anytime that happened you'd, you'd disturb the whole retreat I'd, I'd probably be kicked off i'm sorry for this Kristen. this will probably be the last time you'll ever want to be on our podcast but there you have it so i was um 
It's a weird transition from what you just said. But I, I was in uh, Yellowstone in the lake area at, when I was up in Bozeman last time when we uh, met up there, Kristen. And there's no cell phone service down there. That's sort of like the southeast corner of the park. So there's no no towers close by. In the lodge, I think you can get Wi-Fi. But I think I was there for like three or four days, like no connection, never like you stop reaching for your phone. And I realized like, um, I, I didn't miss it so much. Like I didn't miss it at all. I didn't even realize it until we got back to Bozeman and then I'm like checking my phone again. So yeah, it's a great thing to do to sort of unplug and get away from the devices. And I, I should sort of schedule it like every quarter or something. Carl, have you experienced a disconnected time in the recent memory here? Yeah, I don't think so. Sadly, uh, yeah, I don't think so. I try to stay off my phone and we put boundaries around them. Like our older kid has one now, although we don't have a plan, so she can't check it when she's out, but we make her put it in a room as soon as she gets home and she has to check it out. But as for myself, I don't think so. It's uh, difficult because everything you do is on a computer. I'm preparing for the podcast. We're writing an outline on the computer. I'm writing something for the blog. Even now I'm putting solar panels on my house and I do that with a online drafting program. I designed my kitchen and the IKEA home planner. So it's a, your whole life kind of revolves around devices. So it's very difficult to get away from as great as they are. It's hard to set boundaries when you need them for every aspect of your life. But yeah, I think I would like to try something like the silent retreat. Um, five days without sound though. That's kind of weird. I guess I'm an introvert too. Maybe it wouldn't be as bad. Yeah. You probably do all right. Okay. So, Kristen, I'm curious. Can you just walk us through your wind-down routine, like what time it starts and just the play-by-play? -play? Yeah. Um, these days, it starts uh, at 8.30. And basically, the first thing I do is I, um, I'm, I ensure my computer is off and I turn my phone off uh, and I plug it in. I put it in airplane mode. Uh, I turn off the ringer and I um, plug it in uh, in my living room. I have a very specific place where I plug it in every night. And that's what I'd recommend um, basically anywhere besides the bedroom. Um, and then, frankly, usually most nights at 830, I read I read a real book. Um, I've, I've gotten reattached to the library and I'm really enjoying reading fiction again for the first time in like a decade. And um and I basically read for like an hour or more. And I try to have my light turned off these days, uh, believe it or not, around 945. Um, so, yeah, who's the 90 year old now? Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah. And, and then I, you know, um, and then I, uh, I I try to not wake up until 630. So I've been trying to focus on getting a lot of sleep recently. What time do you have dinner? Um, I, tr I try to be finished eating by like seven. Um, but th that doesn't always happen. And of course, you know, it, you know, if I have dinner with friends, I'm not going to say I'm not going to go because it's, it's, it's later than that. So, I mean, it's really easy to be, to, you know, become a total robot with a lot of this, I realize, And it's, it actually became even more tempting to be a robot during COVID because there was just so little going on and we had total control of your, our schedules and I live alone. And so I think there's also, it's also really important to, to enjoy life as well and to understand and, and be okay with the fact that there's some nights you're just going to get poor sleep. I mean, I had some friends over for dinner the other night and I didn't, I didn't go to sleep till like one in the morning. And that is extremely late for me. Like that is crazy. And it, honestly, it took me like the rest of the week to recover and get back on my schedule, but it was totally worth it. It was really fun. Do you set an alarm to wake up in the morning? 
I do set an alarm. I use my, it's actually like a sports watch. And what I like about that is I, if in the middle of the night I wake up and I want to see what time it is, like it has a little light, but it doesn't, it's not so bright that it keeps me awake. Um, but I often wake up, um, especially if I'm, if I'm being really consistent over several weeks about going to bed and getting up at the same time, I'll wake up before my alarm. So this morning I woke up at like 619 and the alarm was going to go off at 630. And I love that, frankly, like that, that to me makes me really happy to be able to wake up naturally and just turn my alarm off because, you know, when our alarm goes off, it, you know, releases cortisol and it's just, it's just a stressful way to wake up, to have this thing, you know, bleeping at you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the sleep trackers. You had talked about the Aura sleep ring, and I'm, I've read a little bit about that. But do these things actually know when we're asleep, or are they just tracking our movements and taking a best guess? Yeah, there's a lot of um, commercial uh, sleep trackers on the market these days. As you mentioned, I use the Aura ring. It's O-U-R-A. And uh, I'm a big big fan of the Aura ring. I, I wear it all the time. So it, it actually is tracking my activity during the day as well as tracking my sleep at night. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's a lot of value in having good data, um, because it's so easy to overestimate how much we're sleeping. You know, for a lot of people, we might say, well, I go to bed at 10 PM and I wake up at 6 AM. So I must be getting eight hours of sleep, but actually, you know, it takes a while to fall asleep sometimes. And then maybe we wake up in the middle of the night, whether we remember it or not. And then maybe we wake up before our alarm. So we're basically getting a lot less than we think. Um, and I like, Aura so much that I actually make it a requirement for my clients in my sleep classes because it's so much more effective, I think, to make your behavioral changes based on data from the night before. Um, I'd say as far as accuracy, you know, today's sleep trackers are are more accurate at tracking your total sleep time versus your total awake time than they are at tracking how much of the time um, you're in deep versus light versus REM. Um, of the major trackers out there, um, Aura and Fitbit are the most accurate in terms of measuring total sleep time. Um, and Whoop, um, which is a band that you can get that has a subscription, so it's a kind of a different business model. Whoop is most accurate right now in terms of distinguishing between um, the different sleep stages. How important is it to be so accurate versus just have sort of like the overall trend and an understanding of how well you're sleeping and how long? Yeah, good question. I mean, I th honestly think at the end of the day, the best gauge is how are you feeling in the morning and how are you feeling throughout the day? I mean, you know, whatever your reading is on your uh, device, you know, if you're feeling really well rested and whether you've been sleeping well. I also think, you know, as you pointed out, trends, trends are really important. It's way more important to see you know, how things are going over a period of time, as opposed to over obsessing about one particular night, because we all have, we all are going to have bad nights of sleep from time to time for all sorts of reasons. And we can't beat ourselves up about it. I think the more important thing is thinking, oh, okay, wow, when I look over time over this last month, the nights where I had a glass of red wine destroyed my sleep and the nights where I had white, it was actually fine. Or gosh, you know what? My sleep is actually a lot better when I don't have alcohol at all. Unfortunately, that's, that's true for me. Um, and so looking at, looking at, you know, over time, how are our behaviors impacting uh, the data is way more important and thinking about, you know, how do I feel at the end of the day, as opposed to, you know, relying on a tracker to tell us how we feel. Cool. All right. And I think we can also talk about the bedroom environment, which you kind of alluded to, you know, putting your phone outside the 
the room, anything else in the, in the bedroom that you advise or that you can give us tips on? Yeah, I think the, the critical things is trying to keep your bedroom cool, dark, and quiet. So the optimal temperature range is 60 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit. A lot of us actually have our bedrooms too warm. Um, and then, you know, in terms of darkness, you know, blackout curtains are a great investment um, or just getting an eye mask that's really cheap and something you can travel with. So I love eye masks. And then finally, from a noise perspective, the easiest thing we can do is, is use earplugs. Um, it's really easy to be disturbed by noise from a partner or noise from a pet or noise from the street. I mean, there's a million things that can wake us up. And even if we're not aware of it the next day, we, our sleep might have been disturbed by a lot of that noise during the night. So earplugs, I think, are a really great solution and they're really cheap. Uh, one thing I've noticed, and we've talked about this a, a little bit in the past when I've met you, Kristen, is uh, I've got this sleep cycle where if I don't sleep with a, the cooling pad, we'll talk about that in a second, I'll wake up like in a hot sweat, like at two or three in the morning. And it's partially because of my mattress. It's a memory foam mattress, and I think those sleep way hotter. So I have to sleep with this with this pad on, and it, I wish I would have discovered this sooner because I didn't know these things existed. I think I heard about it on Tim Ferriss, and it has changed the way I sleep because now I don't do that. And with alcohol, is even worse. I just wake up destroyed, like just covered in sweat. So I think that the temperature temperature thing is really, really important. I'd be curious to know what you think about the sleeping pads because you have one too, and also mattresses. Do you have any observations or thoughts on the correct mattress? Yeah, the, the cooling pad um, that I know you're referring to is, is uh, with Chili Sleep, um, and and they make two different types right now, the Chili Sleep and the Uller, and I have the Uller. And, and basically, um, the, the Chili Sleep is, is the basic one where you set a temperature for the night for this pad that sits on your mattress, and then you forget about it. And then the Uller gives you more control to change the temperature throughout the night um, through an app. Um, and, you know... I'm a big fan. I, I um, uh, you know, I, I, I think I am sleeping better, frankly, because of the Uller. I think I was sleeping too hot. And, you know, there's a difference. There's the, there's the bedroom temperature, the ambient temperature, but then there's also the actual bed temperature. And as you pointed out, some mattresses can get really hot and a lot of us can overheat. So being able to control that, I think, is really important. Um, there's also another company called Eight Sleep that makes a similar product. Um, and... Um, yeah, I forget what your other question was. Sorry, it was about mattresses. Is there oh mattresses? Yeah, is there one type of mattress like firm, soft, foam, regular, or is that different for everyone? Well, I think firm mattresses are supposed to be better actually on your spine. Um, I think the most critical thing in my mind is actually finding one that's comfortable for you because I think if we're uncomfortable at night, that's probably like the worst thing that we can do as far as promoting good sleep. Um, I personally am a fan of, of Casper mattresses. Um, I love that they've you know disrupted the whole you know, business by, you know, you don't have to actually go into a store anymore. They actually deliver to your house. Um, they're pretty affordable and they're very comfortable. Um, so I've been a big fan of those, but um, there's a great website called uh, Tuck, T-U-C-K, where they have a ton of different reviews on various mattresses that are out there. Um, and, you know, I think the key thing is, is just finding one that's really comfortable. I know that what they're, what, what they're now doing um, is actually developing cooling technologies on top of some of these mattresses. So it's kind of like having the uh, Chili Pad or Uller or 8Sleep actually built into the mattress, which I think is pretty interesting, but I haven't yet personally tried, it, tried that out. Cool. Gotcha. And so when did you get the Chili Pad, Carl? Uh, I got mine about three or four years ago. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know it was that that long ago. Yeah. And what do you sleep in, Carl, typically? Um, I usually sleep... Oh, dog. Uh, I usually sleep at... And we're going to be sharing a room at the uh, at the Economy Conference shortly. So unfortunately for you, Doug, I usually sleep in absolutely nothing. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I usually sleep in, uh, <laughs> like boxer shorts or something like that. Okay. Well, Some mile uh, hi-fi <laughs> thong and... Uh, yeah. And uh, mesh tank top. A lot of people were asking about the mesh tank top. We haven't found a good supplier yet. Yeah, a lot of chafing. Too much chafing is what we found. And, and I guess I should have asked you, Doug, before I volunteered to share my room with you. Um, what do you wear to bed? Well, we'll have to talk about it later. But I think you'll be happy with it. <laughs> da, 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 play the ominous sounds. All right. Any anything else before we? start wrapping down. Do you have any more questions? Yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit about what Kristen does with North Star Sleep School. So for anyone who is interested in that, can you give us a rundown about what North Star Sleep School is? Sure. Um, We have a flagship program that is a sleep course that meets online uh, for one hour per week over a six-week period. Um, It's either one-on-one, two-on-one, or small groups. Um, and the next sessions start Monday, January 3rd. Um, and I also, uh, offer onsite, uh, sessions, which is great for, uh, small groups or teams, um, as part of a multi-day retreat. Um, and more information is on the website at northstarsleepschool.com. And what transformation would a person expect to go through if they're coming in? What will they be like when they come out of there? Yeah, they, the 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 clients who've had the the best success have been the ones who are willing to try new things in their routine um, and to look at their data every morning. So we use the Aura Ring and we also use a Google Sheet, a tracker, which uh, lists many, many different behaviors. So, for example, when was the last alcohol you had last night? What was it? How much caffeine did you have yesterday? Did you get any exercise yesterday? And did you get any sunlight actually on your eyeballs or was it inside exercise? Those are just some of the examples of different behaviors that people would be tracking. And the clients who've really been more willing to try different things like bumping up dinner an hour earlier or making lunch their biggest meal of the day, um, those are the those are the clients that have actually had the biggest uh, changes in their sleep and have really noticed a transformation. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll put all the information so people can check it out. And of course, they can sign up for your email list and get the 10 tips. So yeah, I think that's that's about it. Yeah, I would encourage anyone to, one final thought I had is get your sleep right and do it sooner than later. I was a little bit resistant to buy the chili pad. I think it was like 500 bucks. I'm like, oh my God, that's a lot of money. So I think I discovered it. And then I didn't buy it for another year or two. But then I, I started to realize just how corrosive lack of sleep is like i know i'm a crankier person that i'm normally a cranky person so without sleep i'm super cranky and my ability not to be able to absorb information and not learn and i'm just if i have a super lack of sleep i kind of feel like a zombie like uh, you're just walking trudging through your day so if you do have issues with sleep get it figured out sooner than later you'll thank yourself for it And finally, Kristen, you have a podcast. Where can people find that? And what do you talk about? Who do you talk to? Um, The podcast is called North Star Unplugged. uh, And people can find that on all the major platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, et cetera. Or they can find it on my website, 
they can actually go to northstarunplugged.com and that'll direct them uh, to the podcast. And we explore a lot of different themes around rest and rejuvenation. So we talk, for example, with the CEO of ChiliPad about the impact of temperature on sleep, but we also talk about other broad issues around how do people unplug from technology and how do people go through big transitions in their careers and their lives and how do people find what fuels them. And you've talked to people like Carl, for example, and Alan Donegan, right? Absolutely. So FI and, and, and you know, discovering financial independence is a, is, a, is a huge part of that, of finding what fuels you. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it, was, it was awesome to have Carl check out his episode. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.